0: Thank you, Brian, for leading us. It's great to have uh, the words and the music to remind us and to prepare our hearts for what we're also going to look into in the Word today. And today we're continuing our series called In Good Company, and we're taking another week of looking into the life of a guy named David out of Scripture. And this series for us isn't really looking at people in Scripture and thinking, oh, we have to somehow become like them but to be, look at them and be reminded that if this is who our God is, he, he never changes, that we can grow in our belief. And so we want to find grace for today by looking in lives from the past. And this morning, we really want to explore this idea that uh, what happens when we're in those situations where we really don't know what to do or we don't know what's going on. One of those moments where you just kind of have to step back and say, God, what are you up to? And sometimes those are big moments in our lives, and sometimes they're small, everyday moments. I was reminded of a story of a friend of my wife and I's. Uh, she uh, left for work one day, and she had one of those little Roomba um, vacuum cleaners. Some of you have those. You set them loose in the morning, and they run around your house, and she had a dog that shed, so the, the vacuum cleaner would work all day to keep the floor clean, and she'd come back at the end of the day and, and have a clean floor. And so if she did that routine every day, and it worked well. But what the Roomba vacuum cleaner doesn't know what to do is the day when unusual thing happened where her dog had a little accident. And they're not trained to clean up accidents, they're only trained to run around back and forth throughout the house all day. Yeah, and so it went through the accident and instead of cleaning it up, it spread it out for eight hours in the day. And when she came home, she said she opened the door and looked at her living room, which now was covered with from her Roomba. So we're skipping some words. And she looked at that and had to close the door and take a deep breath and just sit down outside and say, Where do you go with this? <laughs> Where do you begin? And so we have moments like that on the small things that happen throughout our lives. But what happens when they become the bigger things? What happens when they become those situations, the phone call or the situation at work or a relationship that you've been going through and there's turmoil or, or whatever, maybe it's a report from a doctor or something where we have this moment and we have to step back and say, okay, what is God up to And the question we want to address today is, what do we do when we're not sure what God is doing? How do we respond when we are not sure what God is doing? I have this question for you on the screen, just so it can resonate in our minds. What do we do when we are not sure what God is doing? And we're going to look at the life of David today in two instances, one mainly that we'll focus on, as he was really trying to explore this, where he knew kind of what God had for him, but there were situations that looked like they were counter to God's plan, And so we want to look at David's life today and find truth and find some hope for us in these moments. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles. Uh, We're going to ultimately land in the uh, chapter 24 of the book of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel is about maybe, I don't know, a tenth of a way into your Bible, a quarter of the way into the Bible. That's not even close, a tenth and a quarter. But anyway, it's near the beginning (laughs) of Scripture. And uh, if you use a digital Bible, you're always welcome to do that. But this point of where we're at in David's life is, uh, just so you know, we're going to start off in chapter 18, but in David's life, to this point, for some context, is we know that he was anointed to be king one day. And he started off, and he, at the time, he was a young shepherd boy, he was anointed and say, when King Saul is no longer king, you will be the next king over Israel. And last week, we looked at this moment in his life that is very popular, probably the most. recognizable moment in David's life, this David and Goliath battle. And what we kind of looked at though, that it wasn't about the giant. This was not an underdog story, a story where David somehow overcame the odds, but this was a story where the outcome was sure. And David never saw himself as the underdog because this was about whose God was going to show up that day. And so we find that David now anointed has uh, living his life with this great confidence that God will show up again and again, that his faithfulness is proven to be true time and again. And so that's what we looked at last week. Now, what happened after that point was David became a leader of of, uh, one of the leaders in the army under King Saul. And every time he went out, God blessed him with success. So he was rising up the ranks and having international fame as a great warrior as he developed and grew and got older. But we also knew, we looked at last week, that David also had been prepared, and he was a fantastic musician, and Saul at the time was starting to go through some things. It says that an evil spirit of the Lord would come on Saul. Now, it's hard to really understand what that is, except for it was in the absence of God's presence in his life, he was left to his own devices, and so Saul is being seen, given over to fits of rage, and he was moody, and he was uh, jealous, and he had all these things going on in his life. And they, the people who worked around Saul said, "Saul, you know what you need? You need a mu- musician to come in and just play some nice, some '80s power ballads. And if you, you have that rocking in the palace, you're gonna, it's gonna calm you down, and, and it's gonna be better for you." So, so he would send. So they found David. They said, "No one is better than David at that." So David would go in to the palace. After coming out from war and to say, Saul's in a bad mood, can you just play him some, some music? So he would play music and it would calm Saul down. So we have, David now is becoming the most famous musician in the kingdom. He's the most famous warrior in the kingdom. And he's working in the palace under King Saul. And he at the same time knows that one day God has already said, I've anointed you to one day be king. Complicated situation for David but he is where God has him at the moment. Now, in chapter 18, we see how this starts to turn. David came in from one of the battles, and there's a song that people were singing. They said, the song goes something like this. Saul has slain thousands, but David tens of thousands. Now, if you are king, you'd like the first part of that song. But the second part, Saul hears that and says, wait a minute, people's hearts are going to start going towards David if they see him as more successful than me. And it came about now in verse 10 of chapter 18. On the next day, an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, so he was left to his own devices here. Some, it's something that either God caused to happen in his life or that it just happened as a, apart from the presence of God. And he raved about in the midst of the house, and while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual... And a spear was in Saul's hand, and Saul was often throughout Scripture represented as holding a spear, and it was a symbol for Saul uh, of his uh, that, that was his power and his authority of being king. So we see that Saul is often holding a spear. It's kind of like um, Loki's scepter in the uh, Avengers. Did I get that right? Is it Loki? Yeah, sweet. I've uh, fallen asleep in all but one Avenger or Marvel movie, so I. Po- Sorry. Okay. Wow. Well making friends here today. Um, (laughs) But I've never fallen asleep in a baseball movie. All right. Okay. So here we go. (laughs) So Saul's holding his spear, and this is a representation of his power. In verse 11, Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence. Now, this is called a plot twist, a little change in direction, (laughs) You have David just playing some nice music and, and just going, and Saul is kind of angry that day, and he's like, You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pin David to the wall. That's what I'm gonna do. And so he throws a spear and he misses. So Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him. Now we see that what happened is is it happened again. This started a series, this chapter starts a series of chapters where Saul is in opposition to David, although David keeps coming back to him, keeps serving him, keeps leading the armies. He's in Saul's good favor, then he falls out of favor. We find in chapter 19, once again, uh, uh, David is back in the palace. It almost sounds exactly the same. Verse 10, or verse 9, there's an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul and he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand and David was playing the harp. Sounds familiar. Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but David slipped away out of Saul's presence so that, the, the, that he struck and stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. So here's a second time where Saul throws the spear, and this time it sticks in the wall. And this is a point at this time where David leaves the palace, and he doesn't come back. He leaves at this point and starts a series of kind of fleeing from Saul, and we're going to see in a little while how he's running from him over the next five or six chapters, where he's fleeing for his life. If you're David and you're in this situation, and you're wondering what is God up to now, I was anointed king. Everything looked like it was going the right direction. I was gaining favor. I was a warrior. I was well-known. I was in the palace. This all makes sense for God to do what he was going to do in my life. But now someone's throwing spears at me. So the choice he has in this moment is how do you respond when someone throws spears at you? And, and, and what I want to look at today is the two instances in David's life where Maybe he didn't really understand what God was doing, but he had to respond and learn and grow through that. And I think we can find truth in there. So the first thing that we can find truth in is, what do we do when spears are thrown at us? What do we do when spears are thrown? When you're in that situation and somebody is throwing spears. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't had very many spears thrown at me or things thrown at me since my brother and I live in separate houses now. But when we maybe growing up, but since then, no one has thrown spears at me, but what are the spears maybe that have been thrown at you? The shade that's been thrown at you? Or maybe it's the slander, the insults, the gossip. Maybe someone who's trying to undermine you at work. Maybe it's a relationship with a neighbor, or a friend, a parent, a child, a sibling. Maybe some a coworker who's going around your back, And those are moments when we think, God, what are you up to here? How do I respond? How do we respond in those moments? See, I believe that David was facing a challenge in this moment. And his challenge, really, that he was facing was, do I pick up the spear and throw it back? And that's natural to most of us, is it not? What we normally would do is if someone throws a spear at you and miss, it's your turn. (laughs) But David, is something deeper is going on that David does the most courageous thing you could possibly do in the moment. He does nothing. He does nothing. Except for dodge it. (laughs) But in this moment, David had a choice to make. Will I become like Saul? Will I just be another Saul and throw the spear back? Or does God have something else for me? Can I, in this moment, Trust that God has this situation in his hands and he has my reputation in his hands. How many times do we need to throw the spear back because we want to defend our honor and our reputation? Now, I'm not talking about if you're falsely accused and there's, there's some great you know, consequences that will happen if you just let it go. It's not like, well, whatever. But this is when someone wrongs us and we want to say, okay, I got to get you back. The justice bone in our body, that eye for an eye, that is so part of our sin nature, where we want to play judge and jury. See here, David does nothing because he's faced with a choice to trust that his reputation is still in God's hand. Don't you think that if he's going to be the next king, he might feel like he was going to look weak here? Wouldn't the other people in the kingdom say, you can throw spears at David and he's not going to fight back. What kind of king is that going to be? I mean, this is his moment to prove his manhood that you don't mess with him and then when he becomes king, no one will mess with him. But instead, he says, I trust God in this situation. I'm not going to become like Saul. I'm not going to give in to that life that is so natural to all of us. It's difficult. So when we are having spears thrown at us, or maybe it's not spears, maybe it's just a situation where you are asked to step out and still trust that your character or the life that you live for Christ is enough and it's in his hands. I was remembering when I was working in retail management, one of the things that our stores and and therefore us as leaders were judged by was the customer service satisfaction surveys. Maybe you've given some of these at some points in time. And most people like to fill them out when they're not satisfied. <laughs> when you're satisfied, and usually people don't. But, and these were supposed to be given randomly to people. But what I learned pretty quickly is in the industry, most stores cheated. They would save these surveys, and when they came to their favorite customers or to employees who work there, they would hand out the surveys and say, hey, take this random survey that's been given to you by selection, and, and so, so that we can have better scores. And that was just common practice. And then a memo came down from, from corporate saying, hey, we know, we know some stores are cheating because the IT guys figured out all the um, IP addresses were the same on certain stores. Like, oh, interesting that the manager filled this out 10 times. Um, but so they changed their whole system, and they were really telling us, you guys have to have integrity. And that was a very difficult choice. Now, we, I always tried to do it right, but there were times when you're like, okay. Our scores aren't good. What do we do here? Hey, here's a favorite customer. But now is faced with a choice that, hey, we don't want to do it this way anymore. Will you have integrity and trust God in this situation, even if everyone else is cheating? And it was so hard. Because not only did those scores affect what my boss might thought think of me, but affected my financial bonuses and my ability to feed my kids. And I struggled with that often and I kept coming back to this reminder that Ryan who are you going to be in this situation now that's not a throwing spear situation but maybe this is more relatable to many of us can we trust God with our reputation or do you feel like you need to explain away everything or say God I'm going to live with integrity and let the it's in your hands from there I believe David here was giving God an opportunity to show up Now, I do want to make a disclaimer. If you are in an abusive situation, that is not a time to sit back and just be a victim. We're not talking about becoming a victim, okay? Also have boundaries. David, after I don't know how many times, but he finally left, okay? He didn't say, well, I'm going to live the rest of my life this way. He made boundaries and said, the best way to not get hit by spears is to leave. There are some of you that are in toxic environments where there is a time to say enough of this toxic environment. This workplace is not worth coming home to work, from work every day and just bringing negativity because of people around you. There are times you need to set boundaries. But often what I have found is it is our own desire to defend our own honor and to make ourselves become souls. And you know what I've learned about people who throw spears and become Saul's and they're the ones who make life difficult for you? Is that people who throw spears, you're probably not the only one they've thrown a spear at. You're probably not the only one that notices that this person is like that. In fact, Saul in chapter 19 throws a spear at his own son, Jonathan, and tries to pin him to the wall. So David might have said like, hey, I'm in the right. Does anyone else see what Saul's doing? No, everybody saw what Saul was up to And often in our lives, if we get into spear-throwing competitions, we're just stooping to the level. David was willing here to step back and to trust God in this situation with his reputation. And that's one of the most difficult things to do. Because I love to defend my own reputation. It's just natural. So he flees and he runs and he's running through the desert. Now, I want to have you turn to chapter 24 because the next few chapters are David having success, David hiding, David kind of running from Saul. But now, in chapter 24, we see this take another turn. It says, When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats, so, which is, uh, means Engedi, the spring of the wild goats. So Saul finds that David is hiding out in the wilderness and takes 3,000 of his men to find him. This is now, it, it would get old after a while, don't you think? So Saul took 3,000 men from all of Israel, went to seek David, verse 3, He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave. Now Saul went in to relieve himself. Insert bathroom humor here. (laughs) And David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. And the men with David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. And David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. So here we are now. David has already had spears thrown at him. He's been running for his life, but he knows that he's anointed by God to be the next king over Israel. Saul is clearly not fit for leadership, and David is hanging out in the part of the desert on the steep cliffs, and he's hiding in a cave. He sees Saul and his men coming. He and some of his men go hide in a cave, and they see Saul walking up the ravine towards them, And coming to their very cave. So they go to the back of the cave and they're hiding in this moment. And Saul comes in and he takes off his robe. And he goes to relieve himself. (laughs) And David and his men are in the cave having this conversation. When his men say, hey David, look, God has brought Saul to you today. This is your big moment. This is the time when God has called you to take out Saul and be our king. Clearly, God is doing this. David, get him. God promises to you. And I want you to see they even tried persuading David and they quoted some scripture that's not in scripture. (laughs) When they say, behold, this is the day when God said, I will give your enemies into your hands to do whatever you want to do with them. I don't know too many times in scripture when God has told people to do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel is best to another person. This is called man interpreting God's vision. But there was a dilemma here. Because it does seem that God brought Saul to this moment. If David knows he's already anointed, maybe God has brought this situation up. And we see another growth point for David. The first was when there were spears thrown. The second, when he was in a cave or when we're in a cave. When God gives a choice. There's a choice in the matter here. And I got to tell you, I don't know that many people would take the route that David took. Because to me, this would be very easy to say, this seems to be God's will. This seems to be God doing something where he brought Saul to me. So yeah, I guess you guys are right. I should kill him. And I'll be king. So he cuts off the edge of his robe, which is very offensive. I mean, cut the edge of his robe. It was like this Gucci brand and it was really expensive. So... Actually, the edge of the robe of the king often contained an insignia that was used. You could press it on as a seal. The edge of the robe was a a symbolism of his power as king and his authority. The fact that David cut it off, he was essentially saying, I'm cutting off symbolically removing your power and authority in the kingdom of Israel. So when David does that, his conscience strikes him. It wasn't about the cloth. It was about the symbolism of the power. And he starts to be bothered by that because he said, I just took this matter into my own hands. And he tells his men, are like, okay, David, great, you cut off his, you have the insignia now. You're, you can be king now. One more thing to do. Let's kill him. And David is so bothered, he says, we're not going to kill him. We're not going to do it. How dare me to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed? I don't know about you, but I don't know many of us who would have the courage to not do something in that situation. Because once again, what do we see David do? He does nothing. Once again. That's a tough one for me. But again, in this situation, what we see that David does is he's actually putting the pressure on God to show up. In this situation, he's saying, this is really, and and make, again, here's a little disclaimer. This doesn't mean that we never make decisions and step out in faith. It doesn't mean that we never say, hey God, what are you calling me to? I think I'm going to step out in faith. But when your decision is determining the fate of another person to end their life, (laughs) or end something in them, and it's to elevate you and to take them down, maybe that's a time when you need to go a little slower. But there are times we pray out, we pray and God will send answers to us. I, I remember the old story of a guy who's stranded in the middle of the ocean, and he prays that God would save him. And so a lifeboat comes by and says, hey, you need a hand? And he says, no, no, I got this. I pray that God will save me. So the boat leaves, and it happens three times until the guy finally drowns. He gets to heaven, and God says, and the guy asks him, and says, God, why didn't you save me? I prayed out and asked you to save me. He says, I sent you a lifeboat. (laughs) But sometimes we think, it's not about being passive and waiting. This is about praying and taking steps of faith at times. But here, when this is totally different, this is not being passive. This is David trusting God in this situation to say, I am not going to determine the fate of another person by my decisions. You see, I think David understood if God wanted Saul's life ended at that moment, Saul could walk out of the cave and there could be a rock that would fall down from the crags and hit him in the head and kill him right there. David did not want to take this into his own hands. Again, did his men think he was weak? Did those that would one day live in Israel say, wow, look at our king, he did nothing. Or was this ruthless trust in who God was? He says, I won't raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And when Saul left the cave, it said afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called out to Saul. And said, My Lord and King, and Saul looked behind him, and David gives this long speech. It's a great speech. Basically, Why are you chasing me? I'm hiding in the rocks. You're already king. Look, I have the edge of your robe right here. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Would you please leave me alone? Gives this great speech to which Saul responded and said, David, is that you? (laughs) It's of love. It's like, seriously, do I have to start over? (laughs) Saul has a momentary change of heart. He says, David, you're much better than me. Surely one day you'll be king. And he leaves for two chapters until they do the same thing again. So the question here is, when are the times in our lives when we're in the cave when we need to put the pressure on God to show up and be faithful? What are the things in your life, in your life where you need to say, God, I, I need to trust you in this relationship here. I need to trust that if you were faithful in the past, you'll be faithful again. I need to trust you in this situation at work. I feel like I could undermine some people, or I could fight back, or I could elevate myself. But, Lord, how do I live with integrity in this moment? How do I trust that you will show up the way you said you will? Help me be- grow in my belief that you're always faithful. See, because we find that we are very much like Saul, I think, most of the time, are we not? Bits of rage, throwing spears, chasing others, struggling with their belief that God's in control. David wrestled with that, but I believe that these moments in his life led to some of his great works, some of the psalms that he's written, some of the things that he's been trans- transformed by. It's in those moments in our lives, sometimes the challenging ones, where God shapes us and changes us. I think of the seasons in my life, I know uh, a season where working under some difficult leadership or even I, you know, when I was a church planter and just saying, God, what are you doing in our lives with all this training and experience and working in church planting and, and just finding out a lot about myself where God was working on him and almost breaking us as a, as a family teaching us that we need to rely on him more that there's so much that I'm I'm depending on my own strength and my own abilities, but ultimately those things are gonna fall short. I see David being broken through this process and in the brokenness he's growing more and more in his belief in who God is. What are the ways that God has been breaking you and shaping you and bringing you to the brink of these moments where you just have to say, God, if you don't show up, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. And it leads to these great moments and responses. It's growing in our belief in who God is. I want to show you a couple photos here and then read parts of Psalm 31 to you. Uh, this is uh, near the area of En This is a picture taken from one of the caves there. Uh, this is the actual cave that David was in. It says that he has some graffiti on the wall. Um, now, this is a cave near the spring of En You can see the rocks almost forming a fortress around him. Great place to hide. That's the Dead Sea in the background. Here's another image of it. Uh, this is the spring of Engedi. Before you go to Israel trying to find something that looks like Hawaii, trust me, it very rarely looks that nice in that moment. But this is the spring of Engedi, likely the location of this story. The rocks everywhere forming a fortress. And with this, David writes Psalm 31. I believe these are the images that are in his mind. And I want to read some of these verses from Psalm 31 to you. He says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Let's jump down to a few. Let's uh, go all the way down to the next verse there. Let's go to 14 and 15. It says this, I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemy, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. go down to 19. How abundant are the good things that you've stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow on those in the sight of all, on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all the human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. All the way down, 23. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. That's Psalm 31. I think David was able to write these words as he grew in his belief that God would show up again and again. And it reminds me, ultimately, as we want to remind ourselves every week that where we can turn for hope is because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of Christ on the cross that he stood in the place for every time when we become a Saul and throw a spear. Every time we're in that cave and we fail to trust in God's faithfulness, Jesus showed up for that, to be strong when we're weak. That he, that is a good thing to say amen to. I agree with that. Because we need that hope. And Jesus is the one who stepped in. See, it's the same God that David was writing about. Our strong fortress Where do we go for hope if we're not going to Jesus? And so as we end our time here, let's end with a great reminder and the hope that it is because of what Christ has done that we ultimately can trust our lives in his hands. When we fail, we can trust our lives in his hands. When we get it wrong, we can trust our lives in his hands. When we get it right, we can be grateful because we can trust our lives in his hands. And even in those moments, we see how good he is. So this morning, as we end our time, let's end our time reminding ourselves that we don't have to make ourselves good like David. But we want to be people who trust in the good God that David trusted in. And let him transform and change us and grow us in our belief. And let that be what shapes us. We'll find ourselves in good company as we find grace for today in a God who's been faithful and who's already overcome. I want to invite you to stand with me as we end our time in prayer here. God, we thank you that you show up in the caves of our lives. And Lord, sometimes we don't make the right decision. But even in those moments, you remind us that you're good. That there's second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Lord, I thank you that the times when we become a Saul and we throw those spears that, Lord, you are so good that you can forgive us in those moments, that you give us hope for a new day. Lord, I pray this morning for all of us in here that we would remember that you have already overcome, that you have accomplished everything that we seek after in life. So, Lord, help us grow in our belief in who you are and be reminded that you were faithful before, you'll be faithful again. So receive our praise now as we end our time, God. In Jesus' name, amen.